Hey guys, what's up? It's Dylan. I really hope you guys are enjoying this tech series because this has been really motivating for me and encouraging just to get deeper into God's Word. I was reading through Psalm 119 earlier this week and just um, all the benefits that are uh, going to come from just diving into God's Word deeper and deeper gets me so excited and so just really pumped for what's going to come in this uh, tech series. I hope you guys are just as excited as I am. Um, I'll see you guys next week. Hey guys, it's Erin, and this week what's been um, amazing for me has been the daily devotions. So every single morning I've set aside enough time to spend with God, and it's just been something I've never thought about before. I don't know, it was huge, just dwelling on his verses all day, just remembering what I read that morning, and just my time meeting with God. He has really shown me that he is here for me, and that he wants me, and he wants me to let go, and he wants to be a part of my life. It has just been amazing and breathtaking to know what a wonderful and loving God I live for. Hi guys, it's Mike, week two, checking in of text great series so far. Hey, I took what Pastor Brad said to heart and I decided to reread the Bible and look at it as more of a personal letter to me from God. And I got to the story he was sharing regarding Adam and Eve and I got stuck on fig leaf. God, why a personal letter and include fig leaf? I mean, that's such detail. So I decided to look up fig leaf on Wikipedia and Adam and Eve couldn't have picked a worse plant in the garden, a garden full of other plants. A fig leaf is prickly, sticky, it leaves a rash, and I, so I started thinking, okay, there's something here you're trying to tell me in your text to me, and I thought, Mike, when you sin, and under your own power, and making a decision on how to fix the sin or cover up for the sin, you pick the wrong thing, you choose the wrong things. So if I was in the garden, not only would I have picked the fig leaf, but I probably would have stuffed some poison oak in there for padding. <laughs> myself. So it was really amazing reading that as a letter from him. It really opened my heart. I hope it's opening your guys' heart. I hope your relationship with God is growing. And so have fun and prepare your hearts today for a great message. Thank you. So I'm sort of thinking that from now on I should screen those before they get to you. (laughs) Who would have thought? Good evening, everybody. How are you? Good. Good to see you. I'm glad you're here. We're talking about the text of the Bible. And uh, some people love the Bible because it's got mystery. And some of us love mysteries. And some of us don't like the Bible so much because it's got mystery. And some of us don't like all that mystery. It's like, can we clear up the mystery a little bit, you know? And there are mysteries in the world, right? Like, where do the pigeons go at night? I know, right? It's like, I know. So... We're, just, we're sorry. It's interesting to me. You ever realize the Bible doesn't answer all the questions that you have? Right? I mean, you can search and search and search the scriptures, and you won't find the answer to every question. You'll not find the answer to the question, what was there before there was God? I'd like to know that. And it's not in there. And there are a lot of other things in the Bible that, that or there are a lot of questions that you have when you get to the Bible that you don't find answers for it in there. And sometimes we're like, oh, the Bible, it's God's book, and it's got all the answers for life. And I'm like, mm, it has some of the answers for life. It has all the answers for life that God wants you to have for sure, but it doesn't have everything that you're curious about. And it's got a lot of things in it that are mysteries to us. And so I'm just kind of wondering, 
for those of us who really don't like the mysterious part of life and want all the, you know, all the T's crossed and the I's dotted and everything kind of nailed down for us, could we take the unnecessary mystery out of the Bible? There are some things that are mysterious and they're going to stay mysterious and I can't explain them to you. Okay, but there are some things like if there's, if there's unnecessary mystery, could we take that out? Could we explain that and address that and try and get that figured out in our lives? And so that's what we're doing with this series called Text. So a couple of things I want to invite you to engage in again as we get started uh, today. Uh, one is, uh, if you were on Twitter, if you would just, when, when you're sending a tweet about, you know, like what you're learning through the series or what questions are coming up for you during the series, if you just include hashtag Lakeside Text, on that tweet, we'll, we'll compile those. We started putting them out on the screen uh, today. As you're coming in the lobby, there's, you know, there's these texts that people are putting out on Twitter, and it's, I think it's going to be helpful to us. And if you put your questions down there, I'll be able to get those, and we'll try and address those in the coming weeks as we talk through this series. All right, so that's one thing. The other thing I want to encourage you to do, especially maybe if you weren't with us last week and you didn't hear this online or something, uh, we have put together a devotional and instructional guide for this whole series, and it's about five weeks long, written by Lakesiders, for Lakesiders. There's been some really good stuff in there so far this last week, and if you haven't downloaded that so you can follow along with that, let me just encourage you to do it. It's at lakesidechurch.com slash, you know, small dash groups. It's easier if you just read it, Okay. <laughs> But that's where it is, and you can download it, and you can follow along. I'm reading this thing myself every day, and it's been really helpful and encouraging to me. And so whether you're just getting started in your journey of faith or you've been walking with Jesus for a while, I think it's going to be um, helpful to you. So I hope you'll take advantage of that. So here's where we are so far. We started last week. We, we kind of came to this conclusion last week. God so loved the world that he sent us a text. And I know some of, you, some of you, when you hear that, you're like, whoa, whoa, you're messing with Scripture. You can't be messing with Scripture. I'm not messing with Scripture. The Scripture says, God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That's the Bible. And that's absolutely true, and we believe that, and that's what we're, that's what we're built on here at Lakeside Church. But it's also true that God so loved the world that he sent us a text. He sent us this text. He sent us this message because if we didn't have this message, we wouldn't have accurate news about his son, Jesus. I mean, you could have passed down the story for 2,000 years about Jesus, but do you think we would have had it right by now? You ever played telephone? No way we would have had it. And so God so loved the world that he gave us a text, but the text comes with mystery. And I want to try and figure out if there's some ways we can understand the Bible that would help us grasp it. One of the ways I think we can get to the place where we can grasp the Bible better is if we talk about its structure. How did, how did God put this together? You know, how is it arranged and those kinds of things? And I want to take some minutes today to kind of walk that piece through. All right, so we're going to start with this uh, concept of what, what it's called, what this, this book, these scriptures that we have as followers of Jesus, what's this thing called? A Bible. What does Bible mean? Yeah, basic instructions before leaving earth, right? Uh, you've probably seen that before, heard that before. That's good. That's right. That's helpful, right? What does Bible mean? What does the word Bible mean besides the acrostic? Yeah, it comes from the, it comes from the Greek word. It also comes from a Latin word, which is very similar. It comes from the, the word biblia. Now, for years, I thought it came from the word biblos, which is the Greek word for book. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's the book. And there, in fact, there came out a translation several years ago called the book. And I thought, oh, that's creative. That's interesting. They called the Bible the book. That's what it means. Isn't that cool? And then I realized that really the, the word Bible comes from the word biblia, which means books, plural. 
That is really, really helpful because a collection of books is something you recognize. Everybody's familiar with a collection of books. What do we call those? A library. We have a library in our town. It's called a public library. You can take your little library card down there. Do they still use library cards? been a while for me. So you take your library card down there, you can check out books. Or we have private libraries, private collections of books. I've got a private collection of books in my office. If you want to borrow one, you can, you can come up and borrow one. You don't even have to have a card, right? It's my own private collection of books. Here is a, here is a public collection of books. It's called a library. You might become better familiar, more familiar with the Bible if you would just treat it like it was a library. In fact, I went over to the Folsom public library this week because I want to take some pictures, you know, and get some little things to show you and stuff like that. So I'm walking around the library with my iPhone, you know, and it's all cool until I got to the children's section. I'm in the children's section taking pictures. <laughs> I'm like, They're, I'm right next to the police department. They're going to arrest me. So I, so I put my camera away. And, you know, I don't have as many pictures as I was hoping to bring to you. Just being real. So, but here's but here's the deal. In the library, in the Folsom Public Library, there's like a little bookstore, knick-knack store or something like that. And on top of the, on top of, over the door in the window in that little room, it says, Friends of the Library. That's what a church should be. That's what we as a church of Jesus Christ ought to be. We ought to be friends of the library called the Bible. And what if we just became friends of the library and we just learned about what this collection of books was all about? When you go into a library, there are sections, right? When you go in the Folsom Public Library, when you go left, there's a kid's section. When you go right, there's an adult section. When you go into the adult section, if you go left, there's a nonfiction. When you go into the right, it's, it's the fiction side. And it's all organized and structured and everything's in its place. There's that whole Dewey Decimal System thing that nobody but librarians understands. But it keeps everything organized, And that's so helpful so you can find those books that are on those shelves. Bible is a library that is highly organized. Sometimes people get frustrated in the modern world because the library is not chronologically arranged. You ever think about that? Yeah, you you know, we we start reading the Bible, you start in Genesis. Why? Because that's the beginning. Even says so in the beginning, right? So you start there and you read a little bit of Genesis. You're going pretty good. You're going strong. You get to Exodus. You're like, oh, going strong. It's all good. You get to Leviticus. You go, I don't have a clue. And then you stop. And then you come back to it someday and you pick it up later and you're like, it doesn't make any sense. It's not in order. Why didn't they put it in chronological order? Well, here's why. It's a library. And libraries aren't ordered on a timeline. Libraries are organized on a topic line. And that's how the Bible is. And what I want to do for the next few minutes is kind of show you how this thing is arranged in a few different ways that hopefully will make sense to you and hopefully will enhance your ability to read it and understand it and use it in your life. So that's what I'm shooting for. If you have your um, copy of the Bible with you, this is going to be a little bit different kind of a talk Uh, Because I'm not going to ask you to turn to a certain book and chapter and verse in the Bible. In fact, what I want you to do is take your Bible out. If you don't have one, we have some on the chairs next to you. You can reach over and grab one. And what I want you to do is open your Bible to the table of contents. I never ask you to do this. It's a page that I don't look at very much anymore because I kind of know where the books are in the Bible. But I just want you to open the table of contents and put your finger in there. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. And I want to just show you some sections of of the library of the Bible. When you come to the library of the Bible, when you go left, you come to the Old Testament section. When you go right, you come to the New Testament 
Testament, the New Testament section, okay? And you can take the Old Testament section and the New Testament section, and you can sort of divide those by B.C. and A.D., and that might help you just get started. It's like, where's everything in the Bible? Well, in the Old Testament section, that's B.C., before Christ. And everything in the Old Testament is before Christ. And Christ shows up in foreshadows all the way through the parts of the story of the Old Testament. But Jesus himself doesn't show up until the New Testament. So everything in the Old Testament is B.C. When you come to the New Testament, it's all A.D. Now, when I was a child, my first, the first thing I heard from somebody was that A.D. meant after death. It meant after Jesus' death. But that would be a little bit weird because you'd have, you'd have the whole world history. You'd have before Christ and you'd have 33 blank years when Jesus lived and then you'd have after death. That doesn't work. A.D. doesn't mean after death. It means, as many of you know, it means Anno Domini, which is Latin for in the year of our Lord. And so the New Testament begins with the announcement of Christ's birth and it's really the transition from before Christ to the year of our Lord. And so the birth of Christ, the childhood of Christ, the ministry of Christ, the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ, the ministry of the church of Christ and on into our life is all A.D. in the year of our Lord. Or you could say in the years of our Lord. And everything in the New Testament is in the year of our Lord. So there's a division for you from one section to another section of the Bible. Now, when you come to those two major sections, Old Testament, New Testament, B.C., A.D., you also find that those sections are divided into sections. Now, it's, now it gets complicated. Okay, I'm going to make it as clear as possible, but you might want to write this down. All right, in the Old Testament, there's four sections. In the New Testament, four sections. The four sections in the Old Testament begin with the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, no, wait, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, first five. You're in the table of contents. You can see them right there, right? And, and scholars call that the law. The Jews call that the Torah, which is their word for law, the Hebrew word for law. We also sometimes call it the Pentateuch because it's the first five books, Penta, five, okay? First five books, they're called the law, and it's filled with beginnings, it's the beginning of creation. It's the beginning of humanity. It's the beginning of the, hum, of the human race. It's the beginning of the nation of Israel. It's the beginning of their slavery. It's the beginning of their calling out from slavery. And it's the beginning of God giving his law, his standard, his calling to the nation of Israel and through them to the world. The law, the beginnings. And then you go to the next section, and that's the section that the theologians call History. And it tells the history of God's people, Israel, going into the promised land, disobeying God, getting kicked out of the promised land, going into exile, and then coming back to the promised land. And that goes from the books Joshua to Esther, the books of history. And then you come to the books of wisdom, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Songs, or Song of Solomon. They're called the wisdom books, and they're filled with songs, poems, Proverbs, problems, pain, and worship. They are real life books written thousands of years ago, but still talking about real life issues that we face today. I mean, right? Don't, don't you have problems in your life? You don't have to raise your hand. <laughs> but I have it. Don't you have pain in your life? You want to talk about it? Yeah, I don't. Not tonight. You know, but, but it's in there, right? And you know what's interesting? Job talks about it in amazing poetry. The Psalms talk about it in amazing poetry. Proverbs talks about it in amazing snippets of truth. Real life wisdom. 
And then the fourth section in the Old Testament is called the prophets. It, it runs from Isaiah to Malachi. And some, some theologians will, di- will divide that into a, you know, two subsets. So you've got the prophets, and the subsets are the major prophets and the minor prophets, or I would call them the long-winded ones and the short-winded ones. Like, they're just like preachers. Never mind. Prophets, all right? Isaiah to Malachi, okay? Now, that's the Old Testament. Now, you go to the New Testament, it's got similar kinds of sections in this, in this New Testament AD section of the library. So there's, there's the first part, which is called Gospels. It's the story of Jesus' life. And it's told by these guys named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the story of Jesus' life. It tells what happened in Jesus' life. It's followed by the books of history. Actually, one book of history. There's one book on the shelf in the history section of the New Testament. It's called the book of Acts. The Gospels tell the story of what Jesus began to do while he lived on this earth. The book of Acts tells the story of Jesus' life after he left this earth and he worked then through his church by his Holy Spirit. That's the story of history. So the gospel and Acts, and they tell the story of Jesus and the story of what Jesus continued to do through his church. Then you get to this thing called, this, this section called the epistles. Let me help you with this. The epistles were written by apostles. The apostles were people who were sent by Jesus. They sent epistles, which were letters they sent to other people so they'd learn about Jesus. Is that helpful? Okay, they're letters to churches. Okay, like us, churches like ours. And then the last section in the New Testament is called the Apocalypse. It has one book in that section also. It's called the book of Revelation. And that's the sec- those are the sections of the New Testament. So you've got the Old Testament, New Testament, four sections in each. When you, get to the, when you get to the library of the Bible, that'll help you a little. But maybe not a lot yet. Maybe. So let's keep going in our tour of the library. When you're, when you're walking through a library, at some point you'll come to a reading room. And when you come to the reading room, there's a rack of newspapers. Anybody remember newspapers? Some of you do. So some of you, yeah, Carl, you're a newspaper guy, so you remember that. But a lot of you don't even, you don't look at newspapers anymore. You get all your news online by various blogs and, you know, articles and different kinds of things. That's all cool, but I want you to think back, for those of you who've forgotten this, I want you to think back to the days of newspapers. And let's just talk about that for a little bit. You, as you're walking through the library and you come to this newspaper section, you could say, well, there's some, there's some things about the library of the Bible that might also be an, analogous to what happens in a newspaper, so think about this for a second. In fact, I want to do a poll with you, okay? We did a poll last week. I want to do a, another poll. So if you have your phone, take out your phone. A newspaper has various sections, right? There's the, there's the news section, world and national news. Then there's another section called local news. There's a weather section and a sports section. There's a business section and a comics section and an ads section and an editorial section and maybe some others. But those off the top of my head, that's kind of, you know, what is in the newspaper, right? I want to do a little poll with you, and I want to find out what's your favorite section in the newspaper. Because what I find is Donna and I get the paper on the weekends. And we like to go on the patio and and sit on the patio at the table and just kind of read to the paper. But it's really fascinating. The sections that I love to read, she never picks up. And the section that she reads, I'm like, I don't know what you're doing wasting your time on that part of the newspaper. Are we clear? Yeah, so let's do a little poll. Let's find out which section of the paper you like to read. So let's put the poll up, please. There's a poll. What's your favorite section of the newspaper? You get your text app out and punch in on, here's where you send it, to 22. 
333. And then here's uh, five categories, the news section, the sports section, the comics, the editorial, or the ads. Which one do you like best? All right, we'll give you a minute. Go ahead and, and uh, you punch in the number to give us your answer, right? So you guys, you, you comics guys and sports people are figuring this out. Nice. All right, how we doing? So we got, we got sports are going pretty good, and uh, comics, sports and comics. See, that's my life and my wife's life right there. And we got some news people, and we got a lot of ad readers. And I don't know, I don't know if we're talking like the, the commercial ads or the classified ads. You decide. doesn't matter. What's with the editorials? Yeah, uh, not so much, apparently. All right, 10 more seconds to see what we got. Looks like sports are winning this time. News is trying to catch up. Now we got a horse race. See? Whoa. All right, that's good. Take it down. They'll be distracted. Okay, that give you a picture. We don't all like the same stuff. We don't all read the same stuff in the paper. And truthfully, if I gave you two or three chances to vote, you'd still not like the same stuff. There'd be some things that certain people love to read. You never miss it. And then there's other things like I miss that every time it comes out. I think that's the same as it goes with the Bible. I think there are certain sections of the Bible that some of you just love to read, and there are other sections that you go, I don't get that part. I'm not reading it. And other ones of you have different pieces of the Bible or different sections of the Bible that you either love or you hate or you're indifferent to. So let me give you another analogy of the Bible from a newspaper's perspective and see if this maybe helps us grasp what these things are about. In the Old Testament, If you take the first two sections that I already gave you, the law and the history, so you have Genesis all the way down through Esther, you would have what what I think a newspaper would call the news section. Global news, national news, and local news, that's all from Genesis to Esther. And so if you're interested in the history, if you're interested in the story, in the news, in what happened that day, read Genesis through Esther. When you come to the prophets, the prophets are are the editorials. How how do we do on the editorials here? Not so much, right? How do the the prophets fare in the reading of Scripture? Not so much. Some of you are going to have to address Mr. Malachi someday, and he's going to say, how'd you like my book? See, so, but, that's, but that's all right because the prophets were written as editorial. Some people say the prophets were prosecuting attorneys to prosecute the nation of Israel for abandoning God. Well, what, they, what were they doing? They were writing editorials about the life of Israel. And they looked at all the events that come from Genesis to Esther and they said, you're not doing it right. And the prophets writing these editorials were constantly calling people back to God and back to the way of righteousness. What do editorials in the paper do? They are constantly inviting us back to walk with God and to walk in righteousness. Now, they wouldn't say it that way, but what's an editorial do? They look at the news and they go, they shouldn't have done it that way. They give their opinion. They shouldn't have done it that way. Somebody else writes, oh, they shouldn't have done that that way. Every now and then you'll find an editorial that says, well, that was, they did a pretty nice job right there. But usually they're saying, you're not doing it right. Come back to, to right. Come make things right. Editorials are about calling people to make things right. The prophets of the Old Testament were the editorials and they were saying, we are calling you, Israel, to do what's right. And 
And most of the prophets writing in the Old Testament, they put a date on their writing. They usually addressed it for when the, you know, who was the king in that generation. So Isaiah says, in the days of Uzziah the king, I wrote, I saw, I prophesied. And so if you're reading one of the prophets, you can, go, you can find out when they wrote it, when they were, what they were writing about. You go back to the story in Genesis through Esther, and you can find out what they were writing about. And now the prophets make a ton of sense because you realize they're writing a calling back to righteousness. Calling the people of Israel to do what's right. And then there's the wisdom part of the Old Testament. It's another part of the newspaper. I think it's, I think it's sort of the comics. I, some of you are like, come on, that's irreverent. You can't call, the, you can't call like Psalms the comics. Well, I, okay, it might be a weak analogy, except that the, the comics sort of talk about general life, basic life, family life, business life, life in this world, and they do it from somewhat of an artistic perspective. Not high art, granted, but art. Well, the... the the Proverbs talk about basic life, family life, business life, governmental life, talks about all of that. The Psalms, same thing. Job, it's about pain, it's about real life, written in an artistic fashion. And then you come to the New Testament. And the New Testament can also be regarded as, you know, the, the way a, a newspaper is laid out. So the, newspaper, or the, 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 the New Testament, you come to the beginning and you got the Gospels and the history. You got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. And those five books are the news section of the New Testament. They tell you what happened today. And then you come to the next section, which is called the epistles. What are the epistles? Which section of the paper are the epistles? They're the editorial. They're the ones, good job, they're the ones writing... <laughs> You know, ding, 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 good job. So they're the ones writing to the churches and saying, God is calling you back to righteousness. God is calling you to do it right. And some of those letters to those churches were written at churches that were really messed up. They loved Jesus, but they were so messed up. Like the Corinthians, Paul's like, come on, come back to righteousness. You're all messed up. That's the work of a prophet, or that's the work of the apostles. That's the, that's the content of the letters called epistles. And then you come to the last section of the New Testament, and uh, that's the book of Revelation. And I don't really know what to say about the book of Revelation. I'm thinking maybe it's the business section, because <laughs> you've got to do some business with God when you get there. And the book of Revelation is full of cataclysm, destruction, doom, and some hope. <laughs> Couldn't even much the book of Revelation right there. Lots of hope if you follow Jesus, but not so much if you don't. So maybe that helps. As you, as you try and figure out what is this library called the Bible and how does it work. Now, let me steer us for a moment to the foreign language section of the library. Because every library has got a section on foreign language. Like, how do you learn to speak Spanish in 30 easy lessons? Or, you know, something like that. Que pasa? <laughs> Some, something. And uh, so you come to the foreign language section. When you go to church, every now and then you'll hear a pastor or a preacher like me. And they'll say something like, in the Greek it says... And some of you are like, oh yeah, give me the Greek. I love it when you give me the Greek. And some of you are like, what? what's with the Greek already? Enough for the Greek. I don't know Greek. It's not helping me. Right? Why do we do that? Why do pastors do that? Well, it's because God is passionate about communicating with his people in a way they understand. God wants you to get it when he talks to you. 
God wants you to understand him. And so when he wrote the Old Testament, he was writing to a specific group of people called Hebrews. And what language do you think Hebrews speak? Hebrew, thank you. This is not a trick question. They, speak, they spoke Hebrew, right? And so God said, I want them to get it. I want them to understand. So I think I'll speak to them in their language. Imagine that. He doesn't go to the Hebrew people and say, I'm going to speak Mandarin. He goes, I'm going to speak Hebrew. Why? Because he wants them to get it. When you come to the New Testament, it's not written in Hebrew. Why? Because now God's reach, he's speaking to a much wider audience than just the Jews. He's trying to reach everybody in the world. Now, in that generation, the common language, the lingua franca, if you want to be, you know, since we're in the foreign language section, the common language was Greek, actually called Koine Greek, common Greek. And most people around the Roman Empire, they had their particular local language or dialect that they spoke, but they also spoke Greek, which was the language of the marketplace. And so the New Testament is written in Greek. Why? Because God wanted to reach as many people as possible so that they would get it. We don't have, you don't have probably in your possession a Greek or Hebrew Bible. Why not? Because people have come along and translated the Bible for us in very reliable, helpful ways. And now we have them in versions called the New International Version or the New Living Bible or the New American Standard Bible or things like that. Steve Wright wrote in our, our devotional, the, the devotional instructional guide, wrote a, an article for day six in that guide about translations. And I'm going to write a little thing that I'm going to post on the table. So if you're not on the table yet, get on there. I'm going to write something and post it on the table on Monday about translations. But know this, God allows us to translate the Bible because he wants us to get it in the language that people speak with their heart. One huge difference between the religion of Islam and the faith called Christianity is that in Islam, the requirement is that you read and study and recite the Quran in Arabic, the language in which it was originally written. In Christianity, the calling is to translate the scriptures, the Bible, into the language of as many people as possible because we believe God wants people to hear his word in the language of their heart. That's why we translate it. And again, if you want to go on the table on Monday or pick up that devotional guide, the instructional guide, you'll find some more stuff about that there. Last thing. You can't really go to a library and leave without stopping for story time. Right? This is, I, I walked in this room and I put my camera away. You no, know, taking pictures of children. But... So what about story time? See, the, the, the library of the Bible is written over more than a thousand years by dozens of authors who wrote in, in different languages at different times, in different cultures, under different governments, but they wrote one overarching story. Remarkably, the story of the Bible is one story. It's the story of God bringing redemption to human beings. The story of the Bible library starts with God and ends with God. It starts in a garden. It ends in a city. But the garden is the garden of God, and the city is the city of God. It tells the story of God reaching out to his people to bring redemption to them, to bring redemption to us. It tells the story of characters uh, who, through whom God is bringing redemption into this world. So it tells the story of a man like Noah who brought redemption through a boat. It tells the story of a man like Abraham who, 
who became the father of a great nation called Israel. It tells the story of a man named Moses who brought the people of Israel into a promised land where they were intended by God to be the light to the world. It tells the story of a man named David, King David, who said, God, I love you so much, I want to build a temple for you. God said, David, I love you back, but you're not going to build the temple for me. I'm going to have your son build the temple. But David, I'm going to build your house. And your descendant is going to be not only the king of Israel, but the king of kings and lord of lords. And they will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. They will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The Bible tells the story of this Jesus who lived a perfect holy life, sacrificed his own life on a cross, gave it up for us to take our sins away, rose again three days later, and then ascended into heaven. The Bible tells the story of a group of people called church who are living a redeemed life, not a perfect life, but a redeemed life, and who are bringing God's light into the world every place they go. And the story of the Bible ends as it began with bookends called the tree of life. Because in the garden of God, there was a tree of life and it disappeared for the rest of scripture until the end of the book of Revelation when the tree of life reappeared. Because God in his story to us is trying to say, I want to give you life. If you'll have it. I want to give you redemption if you'll have it. And see, the story of the Bible is a story of redemption for the whole world, but what God really wants is that the Bible would be the story of redemption for you. Become a friend of the library. Become a player in the story of God. Jesus, I pray for us. You're good and faithful all the time. And maybe there are some people in the room here today that um, are saying, well, I'd, I'd like to get in on that redemption story if I could. I know I'm far from God. And Lord, maybe they would just be willing to pray the prayer of redemption, the ABCs of redemption to say, God, A, I, had, I admit that I need a redeemer. B, I believe that Jesus is the only redeemer that you have provided, God. And C, I choose to follow Jesus by faith. Lord, if someone enters into your gospel, the redemption story that way, would you hear them today? And Lord, for all of us, would you let us walk forward in this story of redemption? Will we, will we be able to live it out and celebrate it and honor you in the midst of it? Lord, thank you. We love you. We trust you. We seek you through your word. Thank you for it. Amen. All right, live it out, you guys. Take the, take the Bible, take the library of the Bible and live it out. Get the devotional guide we're walking through and read it through and let's live it out together.